worked really hard on this, so please say yes. Make me feel better. Don't judge the spelling. Not the best speller in the world. Just ask Kat as she edited my slides. Just out of curiosity, have you ever wondered what a cow looking at a new gate looks like? No? It looks like church people walking into a redesigned sanctuary. (laughs) No, um, as Gary was saying earlier, we're doing it just a little different, make it more intimate. That way when we have guests coming in the near future, it won't look so empty. Um, And then also when we do start live recording, since you all like to sit in the back so much, the camera could never pick you up, so it looks like no one was here. Uh, so we're changing that up so that it'll flow and function hopefully a little better as we're preparing for growth here in the near future. If you want to put up the slides, we'll start with what the sermon is entitled. So we've been on this sermon series called Charting your course, and we talked about a lot of stuff, but the last three messages have been about spiritual disciplines, spiritual discipline in the mind, body, and spirit, and today's the last one, and we're talking about spiritual disciplines in the body. I want to read James 1, 2 through 3. Consider it, is it up here? Yep, good. Consider all joy, my brothers. Whenever you encounter various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. And then let's go to the next slide here, Romans 5. And not only this, but we also boast in our afflictions, because we know that afflictions produce patient endurance, and patient endurance proves character, and proven character hope. And hope does not dissipate because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Now, when I read Romans 5, does anyone else see a math equation in there, or is it just me? Just me. Yes, exactly. Next slide, please. So... Affliction plus time equals patient endurance. Patient endurance multiplied by itself equals proven character. And proven character over time equals hope. So if you want to take a screenshot of that with your cell phones, now's the time. No, I'm just kidding. Huh? Oh. All right, next slide, please. Building endurance in your spirit, your mind, and body through biblical disciplines. It involves creating habits and practices that strengthens our resilience. As Gary mentioned, and over the last several sermons, we've been talking about the times ahead for Christendom. As we're getting closer to the end times, there's going to be more trials, there's going to be more tribulation, there's going to be more persecution. 
And we see in the Bible where it talks about there's going to be a large falling away of people. And in the process of this, it's going to be those who don't have a solid foundation in Christ. And we're already seeing that in some small ways. And something that has always worried me as a believer is, would I ever be one of the ones who fall away? And my flies down. Let me get that back up. Sorry, guys. I felt a draft. And I was just realizing, okay. Let me put a skirt over here. Oh, Lord bless me. <laughs> I think it's the pants because, <laughs> anyway, no one look anymore, okay? Yep. All right. So anyway, oh, Jesus help me. So in the days ahead, we're going to have trials, tribulations, and I've always wondered, like, all right, God, would I be able to be one of the people that would stand? I think that's a legitimate question that we should ask ourselves. Do I have a strong enough, solid foundation and trust in relationship with you to go through persecution? And I thought to myself, well, yeah, I mean, it's a quick death. Yeah, I could do that. But what if it's torture? What if it's something very strenuous? What if it's being crucified? And then I asked myself, do I have what it takes physically? spiritually, mentally, emotionally. And so I started thinking about what it takes as a Christian and an individual to withstand those things. And what it comes down to is mental and spiritual toughness and endurance. I have a friend, he's a mentor of mine, he was the dean of men when I was at ORU, and he would say, great men do the things they don't want to do and they don't want to do them. And what I've realized in our society, as I've hit on this in multiple past sermons, is Christianity in America has become not only complacent, but we've pursued comfort. And in the process of pursuing comfort, we have become weak because we are not pursuing things that create discipline and endurance and hardship. And there's this idea in our culture that if things are uncomfortable, something must be wrong. But when things are actually challenging, that actually is much better for our hearts and minds and souls over time because it builds character, it builds endurance. And that endurance, as the math equation, actually produces hope. One of the first disciplines that we have here is fasting. Fasting teaches us to discipline or teaches us discipline, self-control, and focuses us while helping us to rely on God's strength. Fasting is a bittersweet thing. It is extremely difficult. And something that, if you don't fast a lot, something that I would highly recommend, is called intermittent fasting. And what intermittent fasting is, instead of going 24 hours or 48 hours, it's time block. So you eat supper one night, and then you don't eat until maybe noon the next day, uh, intentionally. And 
so it's about a 16 hour fasted window, window starting at night and you just start building spiritual discipline uh, through small endeavors I've always been this kid and adult who just swings for the fence on everything and I've realized like you strike out a lot swinging for the fence but if you just try to put the ball in play it's sometimes much easier to get on base and so I started thinking about that in terms of spiritual disciplines. You know, instead of trying to do this thing called a 75 hard, have you guys heard of a 75 hard? So so basically a 75 hard is 75 days where you have to drink a gallon of water per day, exercise twice a day for 75 days, one indoor, one outdoor, read 10 pages of a book, and follow a diet. And if you mess up, you start over until you reach the 75 days without missing it. And I remember thinking of, of trying to do that. And I have friends who have diligently disciplined themselves for a moment of time. A great example... Uh, I, so let, me, let me finish that thought, sorry. When I started doing that, I realized it wasn't sustainable for me. My father... He, he goes on these crash diets where he will he'll normally just eat whatever he wants in general, and then he'll follow the strict diet of steak, eggs, tomatoes, and grapefruit, and that's all he'll have. And so he'll do that for like three or four weeks, and then he'll lose a whole bunch of weight, and then all of a sudden the weight will come back when he's not on the diet. And I, I, I watched him yo-yo. I've yo-yoed in my own diet. But what I realized is I created something that wasn't sustaining. Or he would create something that wasn't sustaining. And I think when it comes to fasting, it's not about just doing it once, twice. But how do we create a fasted lifestyle? How do we sustain a lifestyle of fasting? Well, obviously, you can't just not eat. But you can do things like intermittent fasting. I had a pastor friend who would fast just Mondays every week. And he lived a lifestyle of fasting. There are three, uh, four physical benefits of fasting. There's detoxification, improved health, weight loss, and enhanced immunity. And here's what's so unique. Detoxification, fasting allows the body to detoxify itself from toxins accumulated through food and environmental exposure. When you fast, it improves digestion. It gives your system a break, and fasting can lead to improved nutrient absorption. We all know fasting helps with weight loss, but here's where immunity is really unique. Uh, studies suggest that fasting strengthens the immune system and props the regeneration of immune cells. And this is something that as I dove into intermittent fasting that I've learned it takes roughly, if, if you do a no-food fast, it takes about three days to really start experiencing a whole new cell regenerative process in your body. And it's a way to get rid of sickness, death, and disease pretty quickly if you go on uh, a fast. And it's unique of how quickly a body can heal through actually not eating food. But when I look at that, I think about those spiritual, implica spiritual implications 
that also have to do with the physical things. Like, when, yeah, we're detoxing um, physically, but spiritually we end up detoxing. Our consumption, spiritually speaking, and then the environment around us, not just in food, but we're more attentive to what we are allowing into ourselves. With weight loss, when we, when we fast, some of the things spiritually that implicate with weight loss is we're actually letting go of our burdens and we're trusting Christ in the process. Now to the spiritual benefits. We have a heightened spiritual awareness and increased focus on prayer and breaking strongholds. Heightened spiritual awareness. Fasting creates physical emptiness that can lead to a heightened spiritual awareness and sensitivity of God. When we're not concerned with eating and food prepping and what we're going to be doing, it's easy for us to remove some of the distractions in our life and allow us to put an increased focus just on our prayer life as well. And fasting breaks strongholds and patterns of sin which leads to greater freedom and intimacy with the Lord. Biblical examples of fasting have been Moses, Elijah, and Jesus, all whom have fasted for 40 days. We see Jesus tempted multiple times towards the end of that fast. I'm watching TikTok. No, I'm kidding. Um, the second discipline, so we have fasting. The next slide, please. Next slide, please, if it's working. So the next discipline that we can do is worship. Worship reminds us that God's faithfulness empowers us to preserve through challenges. Sorry, what did I say? Preserve. Persevere. And I wrote it. When we look at uh, in Acts with Paul and Silas when they're in the jail, they were worshiping the Lord when the earthquake happened and the jail broke open and the jailer was about to probably kill himself. And then they're like, no, we're all here. And then the jailer comes to know the Lord. But we see in that midst that in the midst of adversity, they were worshiping God in their challenges. The biological effects of worship are these. Reduction in stress hormones and improved cardiovascular health. How interesting is worshiping makes your heart better. Think about that. Physically, biologically, scientifically proven that worshiping makes your heart better. Studies have shown that participating in a religious activity like worship may have a positive impact on cardiovascular health, reducing blood pressure, and lowering the risk of heart disease. Psychological effects. Increased positive emotions, enhanced mental focus, and a sense of belonging. So to the first one, increased positive emotions. When you worship, it invokes feelings of gratitude, joy, and peace fostering positive emotional state 
and they are reducing feelings of anxiety and depression. Enhance mental focus. Engaging in worship can improve in mental focus and concentration as individuals direct their thoughts and attentions towards God and His spiritual truths. And when we worship, it gives us a sense of belonging. Worship in a community of believers provides a sense of belonging, of social support, which can contribute to greater psychological resilience of well-being. Do you guys know who Russell Brand is, by chance? He's a, a, a British punk? No, you... Not, no, he's turned his life around significantly. I, I think he might now even be a Christian. I'm not 100% sure. But very close. So he, there's this guy who used to be highly drug addicted, highly, I have kids in the room, but engaged in physical relations that were inappropriate. A guy who has ruined his life through, I shouldn't say ruined his life, I mean, but he was ruining his soul. He was empty. And recently I was seeing an interview of him talking about the Old Testament when God said, you shall have no other gods before me. And, you shall, and so, or you shall worship no other gods before me. And he, I hope I can say this just like he said it. He said he had this moment of clarity when he realized that we were created as beings to worship. And if we don't worship the divine, we will worship the mundane. That hit me like a ton of bricks. Because it's very easy for us to allow things in our life to take place instead of worship. Or we can worship the wrong thing. Even if we don't realize we can worship money, we can worship a sports team, we can worship a job. There are many aspects in life but what I realized when he said that is how can we focus on the divinity of God when we worship? We'll go to the... Okay, yeah, you already did. Thanks. Spiritual effects. Deepen connection with God. Worship is a means of experiencing love, reverence, and devotion to God, fostering a deeper spiritual connection and intimacy. Transformation of the heart. Through worship, individuals are transformed as they encounter the presence of God, leading to repentance and healing and spiritual growth. And an empowerment to serve. Worship equips believers with spiritual strength and empowerment, enabling them to serve others with compassion, humility, and love. I think about that jailer who got saved. During or after that worship service that Paul and Silas had in prison, and how his whole household came to the Lord. We don't see this specifically, but what I want to know is like, after that broke out, did he just take them and home with him? I'm assuming so. And so I'm like, man, this guy got saved for what he was afraid of that they would get loose from jail. And then. Once he got saved, instead of being afraid that they were loose and that he would lose his life, he decided then to take them to his house. That's my assumption. The Bible doesn't say that. So those are my dots that I'm connecting. So that which what he was afraid of happening, he was then emboldened to do, and it led to the salvation of his house. 
All right, next slide. So here are some of the neurological effects of worship. Worship activates the brain that associated with the reward and pleasure center, such as the nucleus uh, accumbens, A-C-C-U-M-B-E-N-S, and the prefrontal prefrontal cortex reinforcing positive spiritual experiences. What's also unique is that the brain has neuroplasticity, which means that just because the brain has been operating one way, the brain can actually change. Neurological pathways can... Um, new, neuro, new neurological pathways can develop, while old neurological pathways can actually be... So like a path. Let's put it this way. Have anyone ever walked on a, on a trail? And when thought patterns consistently go down one path, they get ingrained. So you can create new, neuro, new neurological pathways by specific experiences that create a deepening of that path. But what happens when you stop walking on that path is that that path then turns back into nature and it becomes as a not a path anymore. It just turns back into nature. And our brains operate the same way with thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. Now the third discipline that I have is acts of service. When we serve, by serving, engaging in acts of service reflects upon building endurance as we face obstacles with sacrificial attitudes. I think how serving reflects Jesus and through that process our heart turns to look more like Christ and we're able to overcome obstacles and boundaries through love. I think of when the children came up to Jesus and the adults like, no, 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 leave Jesus alone. And he's like, no, stop. Let the children come to me. Jesus' outlook on kids were far different than those adults that were around him because he was open to being interrupted. He was open to letting people in, even, not even just the most undesired people that we see through Scripture, but even when we look at children culturally, they weren't adults, they weren't, the value wasn't on them as it was for an adult. And so for Jesus to spend time with a kid, it was saying that he brought value who they were. And so in our life, there's a lot of times that in moments, whether it's going through the line at the grocery store or food pantry or whatever the situation or scenario may be, we view people as an inconvenience or an interruption versus maybe a moment of where God is wanting us to look like Jesus to Biological effects of serving. A release of the feel-good hormones. Reduced stress levels and a boosted immune function. 
access service can trigger a release of neurotransmitters like serotonin, dopamine, and oxytocin, which are associated with the feelings of happiness, satisfaction, and a sense of belonging. Reduced stress levels. Serving others can be linked to lowering the levels of cortisol and the body's primary stress hormone, leading to decreased feelings of anxiety and improved cardiovascular health. So serving others is good for the heart. And also boosted immune function. Engaging in service accelerates behaviors that have been shown to enhance immune functions and reduces inflammation, contributing to a better overall health and resilience to illness. Serving in psychological effects. An increased sense of purpose, enhanced self-esteem, and greater resilience. Serving others provides individuals with a sense of purpose and meaning to life, leading to greater satisfaction and fulfillment. I've said this before, and I'll always say it again. I have a friend with no arms, no legs, and someone said, if you can't get a miracle, be a miracle to him. And it was shortly when his life started transforming into becoming a public speaker. Enhance self-esteem when we serve. Acts of service can boost self-esteem and self-worthiness as individuals recognize their ability to make a positive impact on the lives of others. Greater resilience. Serving others fosters a psychological resilience by encouraging individuals to focus on the needs of others rather than dwelling on their own challenges and setbacks. And when it comes to service, let's look at the... Oh, you're already there. Sweet. You're on it. Strengthened relationships. Serving others cultivates deeper connection and empathy in relationship and fostering a sense of belonging and community. Perfect example. Yesterday, I came to just cock the office that I'm in so I can get ready for paint. And then this young man over here, Josh... Like, well, hey, man, if you want help painting, I'll help. So while I had no intentions of painting because there was help available, I said, yes, please. And Josh, I want to say thank you for helping me. It, it meant a lot, and I couldn't have gotten it done or as far as we are without you. And through that process, Josh and I got to know quite a bit about each other. So what happens when you serve people you get to grow in relationship with them. You get to grow in a bond of Christ with them. And then through time and presence spent with each other, then you can also have influence. When you serve others, there's a reduction of social isolation. I think for the church and globally during COVID was a very trying time. We, depression and anxiety ramped up over 900% during COVID. Suicide ramped up significantly through COVID. And I think the biggest contributor was social isolation. People were not living in community the way that God intended for us to live in. 
And so when we look at serving and living in community, serving can mitigate the feelings of loneliness and isolation by providing opportunities for social interaction and meaningful engaging with others. Engagement with others. So when we look at the whole message today, the three main disciplines, who can tell me what they are? Fasting. Perfect. When we do these things, we create biblical, spiritual disciplines. Okay, if you'll go back to my math problem, we are creating afflictions. We are creating hardships on purpose that are godly and good and better for us so that we can create patient endurance, that we can create proven character, and that we can create hope. And when we do those things based off of a biblical standard, we have a foundation to stand on so that when we are in trials and afflictions and tribulations that aren't necessarily self-induced, but environmental or financial or global induced, we have already proven to ourselves that we have the character to endure hardship. And what that is so important is because that character equals hope. So when you're going through hardship, if you already have that proven character, you already know you have the hope. So, Jesus, we just thank you for who you are and what you've done through and the cross. You released your place in heaven. You came be a bond servant for man and then you were obedient unto death. You demoted yourself three times so that we could be loved, so we could have right relationship with you, that we could be forgiven, that we could enter into eternal life. So I want to say thank you for the life that we have in Jesus. With every head bowed and every eye closed, is there anyone here today that has yet to ask Jesus into their heart? If you would, just raise your hand if you want to. we got a good group of believers, it looks like. If there's anyone here today that says, you know what, I just need more of Jesus. I need to develop more disciplines in my life so that when I'm facing worldly affliction that I'll be able to withstand and endure and have hope. If that is you, raise your hand. Thank you for your hands. Jesus, I lift my brothers and sisters to the Lord that have raised their hands. God, I speak peace 
over their heart and mind in Jesus' name. That no weapon formed against them will prosper. Lord, I thank you that the hope that we have in Christ Jesus is also the same hope that in trials and tribulations that we can look upon and know that you are with us in the midst of struggle and in the midst of adversity. So God, I speak peace over the heart and mind. That in you and with you, we have peace. But not as the world has peace. That we have the fortitude that Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego had that despite their circumstances, they trusted in you. And then when the fire came, you were there. So God, thank you for your love and your peace. With my brothers and sisters that raised their hand, God, I pray that you will strengthen them so that in their times of hardships and trials that they will be able to endure and that hope will abound. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody says, Amen. Thank you so much for...